With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good afternoon. It is Friday, February 3rd, 2013, and it is my distinct pleasure today. In fact, I am so excited about this particular topic, not because I'm a dog lover, but uh, the, the book is actually called I Love You More Than My Dog, and in my household, that would be I Love You More Than My Cat. Um, <laughs> And the subtitle of the book is Five Decisions That Drive Extreme Customer Loyalty in Good Times and Bad. And the author of the book is our guest today, and her name is Jean Bliss. And Jean has a a truly remarkable corporate background uh, that uh, reads like the Fortune uh, 50. And uh, the the number of people that she managed to get to give quotes on, on the cover of the book and and uh, in fact, one of the the people who wrote, uh, well, the person who wrote the foreword is is a real hero of mine, Colleen yes. Barrett from Southwest Airlines. And many of our uh, egg members, Jean, uh, are in the travel industry. Not all, uh, I would say, uh, probably two, well, maybe a third. Um, oh wow! Then, I didn't know that. Yeah, and it's because um, you know, as the founder of the Executive Girlfriends Group uh, back in 2008. It began with a group of, you know, my girlfriends who are all my business colleagues from the travel industry, and there were oh, about thirty. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and there were about thirty of us, and all of us um, had positions where we were reporting to an executive, or we were the managing executive of a company. And the companies ranged from small entrepreneurial firms like mine. Uh, all the way up to you know companies like Wyndham and and Avis and and uh, you know some fairly large companies in in the travel industry and what we all have in common uh, and and even those who have been added on in other industries we all have in common that we are responsible somehow for marrying buyers and sellers we you know we call that distribution in the travel mm-hmm. industry but it really is that customer facing piece but everything all the way through to how you get the inventory in the customer's hands. And so uh, we have a lot of people who are very, very adept in technology and, um, again, wide, wide range of people um, from from entrepreneurs all the way up to solo solopreneurs and um, corporate executives. So with that very, very long intro, <laughs> I would love to hear about you and uh, just give us the, you know, and you can do a little bit more than a thumbnail, but I'd like to hear about your corporate background before you went off on your own and then uh, before you became an author. Sure. Well, gosh, first of all, thank you so much. It's it's a pleasure to talk to you and to be with everybody who's out there. And I I love women leaders. I think we have this amazing blend of Real world, world, real world experience and empathy and heart that just makes a pretty uh, amazing combination. I had the great fortune of starting my career at a place that, um, where I was able to practice in business the values and decision making that was congruent with the kind of decision making I'd make in my personal life, and that was Land's End. I worked for Gary Comer, the founder of the company, and the executive committee. At the age of 25, I was working for these three men, and my job was to be what they called the conscience of the company, which was we were growing 50 and 60% a year. The catalog industry had taken off, and 
my job was to make sure that as we grew and expanded that operationally we stuck to our core values. So that kind of ruined me for life and um, started me off in being a customer zealot, and I really couldn't go back from there, so much so that when it was time for me to leave the nest, I stayed for 10 years, I I went on and deliberately chose different industries to kind of get more complex and try to figure out if if there was anything to the Lands End magic that could apply over and over again. And so after Lands End, I went on and I re- reported to the president of Mazda, then the president of Allstate, um, Coldwell Banker, and ended up reporting uh, to the highest levels at Microsoft Corporation, um, and all in the role of, you know, chief duct tape, human duct tape, connecting the silos, trying to create a united customer experience. And a lot of these words weren't really known back then, but now they're a part of our language set. When I got out, I um, got out. <laughs> when I left, um, <laughs> right? I don't when, I think about it that way too, Jean. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. When I got out of school called corporate, I um, I knew I wanted to put it down on paper for the rest of the brave crusaders that were doing what I had done. And I, I wrote the guidebook I wish I had had when I was Sisyphus pushing that rock up the hill. And, and that was my first book called Chief Customer Officer. There there had never really been a tome kind of dedicated to leading the customer crusade. And out of that, my independent career was born because a large part of what I do is I actually coach the chief customer officer or the customer experience officer into their job, and it is so joyous. Uh, many of them are women. You know, some are men, of course, but I've, I've just had this really amazing opportunity to work with some really strong, passionate people, and uh, that's a big part of what I do. I, I coach the that person as well as the executive team. And then in um, 2009, what was published is this book we affectionately now call The Dog Book, which is kind of the heart of the matter, meaning when you become a company that's loved and prosperous, you need to make decisions differently. And that's what this I Love You More Than My Dog book is. In actuality, it's really the prequel to Chief Customer Officer. It's it's what you what you strive to become and Chief Customer Officer is how to arm wrestle the corporate machine to get there. So that's in a nutshell my little journey. Well, I love the term human duct tape. I I think that that, I I have never heard that used, but it really is what you have to do to marshal all the corporate resources to think differently. Uh, You know, companies think so easily about their own product, and they put the product at the center. And uh, I also love the term customer zealot because I, I think that, you know, somebody has to be in that role, and, and it hasn't been formalized with so many companies. It's true, and, and what we're finding is the growth of that chief customer officer role is becoming more and more prevalent. In fact, I'm in a couple of weeks launching a blog, uh, chiefcustomerofficer.wordpress.com, to really kind of uncover a lot of what I've learned. It'll be a... It'll be the online guide of everything I've learned since I've published the book and since I've been coaching all these executives. Because, you know, for me, I love giving away, and to, to those who give, much is received, and so I just want to help the brave crusaders. And, you know, a lot of times we feel like we need to be locked in a rubber room in this job. <laughs> well, let's dive right in, because your book uh, is so simple. It, it is so rich, but it is designed simply to deliver uh, some core messages, and, and there are seven of them. So I'd like to just uh, 
um, all we're going to be able to do in the time that we have is really touch on each one, but I, I think it's so important to lay out that, that foundation. So number one, sure. chapter one, is your decisions reveal who you are and what you value. Yes, you know, Chicky, what, what that's about is the fact that in a world of social media, you can't package your brand anymore. You can't market it and say, here's who we are. In, in, in actuality now, it's your decision about how you're going to grow and in what direction you're going to invest is what people make determinations about who you are. You know, do you value your employees and you're going to invest in them? Do you value your customers and you're not going to nickel and dime them? And, and that's what shows up on the Internet. And people make their buying choices more and more through listening to people and understanding the real experience versus the packaged, marketed, you know, pretty coded uh, experience. So your decisions drive it, and they are very transparent about who you are. Well, and that that is no more visible than in the reversal of the decision today by the Susan G. Uh, Komen Foundation, you know, yes. to go back into Planned Parenthood. So, you know, I suppose uh, the reversal of your decisions also reveal who you are and what you value and how you respond to pressure. Well, and I, I you know, I, I, I think we need to wait to hear the rest of that story play out. I'm hoping I'll understand a little bit more. I don't, I'm going to hold. I'm going to hold any judgment on that till I hear a little bit more. But, yeah, I mean, you know, there's been a lot of media about things. You know, BP, when they had all that big failure and and even Toyota, you know, you kind of make judgment calls about the people behind those companies making those value decisions. Right. Right. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see how, how that plays out. And certainly we've watched BP unfold over a, a very, very long and financially painfully peer, uh, painful period for them. Right. So let's, let's jump to the next one because I, I think, you know, it, it's possible that this one actually has to precede Chapter 1, but I'm, I'm sure uh, once our readers read through them, they'll see why you put it as Chapter 2. And this one is Decide to Believe. Talk to us about that. Well, Decide to Believe is the first of the five decisions, and, and to me it's the – it's the foundation that makes up the backbone of the beloved companies. And this is that at the core of the organization, they are, they have the attitude that employees are good. And, you know, this isn't blind belief. We're not just going to throw people out into the world and say, do the right thing. We're going to train them. We're going to develop them. We're going to invest in them. But once we do all those things, we're going to, we're going to believe that people make good decisions. And, and the other piece is believing that customers are good people. What happens in corporations is we create the majority of the rules to protect us from the minority of the customers. And that's the foundation. If you if you don't attitudinally build from there, a lot of it is you're kind of building a house of on a pretty uh rocky foundation. Wow, I love that one. <laughs> that's amazing. So decision number two is decide. And it was hard clarity. to write this stuff. Well, Go ahead, Chicken. Uh, Sorry, I interrupted you. No, no. I, I, I actually was just soaking in. You know, the that we create the majority of rules for the minority of customers. I was thinking, I'm, I'm in the midst of putting together operating agreements and and initial uh, contracts with uh-huh. people who are going to be supplying my business. And I thought, you know, uh, that's precisely what happens in a legal contract. You create the the majority of the clauses 
to That's protect right. you from, from the minority of companies who really are out to defraud you instead of those who really want to help your business grow. Well, right, and, the, and, and therefore your partners start getting a bad taste in their mouth about you before you've even begun. Right, exactly. Yeah, there's so some I'll have case- to- Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Chicky. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say I have to figure out how to get my lawyer on board with that particular premise. Well, there's some great case studies in there, especially in the healthcare industry, around um, hospital systems that dropped their malpractice suits by 40% or so because they were they they made a really you know noble decision to believe their patients. Mm. Counter counterintuitive. Exactly. Well, what should be intuitive, but it has become counterintuitive for sure. Right. We are litigious. Right. So the second one, and, and I, I love this this decision, is deciding with clarity of purpose. And clarity, mm-hmm. um, you know, those those who are listening who know me well know that that, that is uh, one of my guiding terms that, you know, in decision-making, it's peace and clarity of vision are the two things I seek uh, in, in moving forward. Uh, in anything, you don't always have all the information, but deciding right. with clarity of purpose is core uh, to what I do. So, would love to hear your perspective on that. Well, yeah, you know, if you if you if you don't sit down and and engage your organization, and also know as you're moving forward why we're on the planet, right? Mm-hmm. Why are we intersecting customers' lives? What, what what are we there to do? And you know, I give an example in the book of of two kind of companies: an everyday company and a beloved company. An everyday company thought of themselves and so kept themselves, you know, kind of stuck in the rut of being a cup manufacturer, children's cup manufacturer. And so they were always looking at the competition and shop based on price. The beloved company decided their purpose was to support parenthood. And so they weren't bound by that cup or that price comparison and, you know, expanded to become one of the, the biggest children's companies and parent and family companies in the world. So do you have a higher purpose on how you support your customer in their life or are you stuck in the rut of just getting something out because you want to sell stuff? Right, right. So number three in, in the decision path is deciding to be real. Mm-hmm. And and so many companies, we were talking earlier about branding and, and you know, behind that is, of course, packaging and... and right. Uh, you know, as people have come out on the Internet in particular and, and and using social media as a new tool that's a part of the arsenal of communicating with their customers and prospects, um, I think one of the things people are having the hardest time with is being real because the definition of that has always been filtered through those people who have, have been leading the customer crusade but also having to stand in the gap, you know, when things don't go well. Right. Well, and 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 I love I love what the internet and social media, most importantly, what social media doing is doing, which is it's it's becoming a forcing function to transparency. You can't fake true, honest, two-way conversations with customers. And the idea of being real is 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 everything Colleen Barrett stands for. And and I'm so thrilled you brought her up because it was it was one of the biggest honors of my life, really, having her be so personally engaged with this content. But it's it, it's really around creating a place where your employees are able to bring the best version of themselves to work, where you can make decisions in your business life, life that's congruent with the decisions you'd make in your personal life. And, and, and that becomes this, this magnetic force. You know, your employees are happier. 
they're more engaged with one another, they feel collaborative, and you get rid of all the corporate bureaucracy and the packaging that creates a big wedge between yourself and your customer because there's this air of fearlessness. You make a mistake, so what? We're human. Everybody does. Let's learn from it and move on. I love that. I love that. And I and you you can just feel in in what you're saying how that would permeate a corporate culture. And and I think what we're talking about here is really the tone that gets set by leadership that That's impacts right. the the culture. That's because right. without leadership embracing, you know, these decision points, uh you you simply can't get there. And you know, in the travel industry, I know we we struggle so much, particularly if you take a look at hotels and how right. they dealt with bad reviews. And you know, TripAdvisor uh, just yeah. recently spun out of Expedia, and and you know, they have really made their fortune based on on customer feedback. Right. Um, but you know, that has given the travel industry such heartburn because they didn't know how to deal with it. It was okay to deal with the customer complaint behind the scenes. Right. And they were very comfortable with that. Not always satisfying the com- customer, by the way. But right. the you know, once that's out in the open, um, understanding that you can be transparent and that doesn't mean that you have to be perfect all the time. That's right. And, you know, a lot of companies misunderstand social media to mean this is another place where we can launch a campaign. And, boy, customers can sniff that out a million miles away. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the, like you said about leaders, one the great leaders really understand. For example, Kip Tyndall, the chairman of uh, the Container Store, the biggest, one of the biggest and most heralded awards they give every year is called the Gumby Award, which is around bending over backwards and being nice to each other because your customer te- can tell when you like each other and work for each other and, and support each other. Another attitudinal shift that, you know, made WestJet a Canadian airline, the number two airline in, in, in Canada, you know, a new market entrant, was that the executives got rid of all the, you know, gobbledygook that usually elevates them to the top and pushes everybody to the bottom, so much so right. that they, they create this tongue-in-cheek title for themselves, which is big shot. Right. So... I do think that people need to be given permission to act as normal human beings, and and executives have to play a role in that. Well, and that leads right into the next one, which is decide to be there. Yep. And in the book, you you say it's an everyday charge up the hill to be there for customers on their terms. Right. And, And the thing about this is, especially in a world where, you know, to your point and what we've talked about, your customers are the ones with the megaphone, is this is about operational, this is about operational reliability. If your customer can't tell another customer what they get from you, how they get it, how long it takes, and how they feel, then you don't have a story to tell. Or your story is going to be inconsistent. It's going to vary based on what channel they interacted with, who they interacted with, how what side of the bed the customer service rep got up on. And so reliability is one of the, uh, you know, has created the the social media and customers talking about the lack of reliability, which is a lot of what they talk about on the Internet, has created Mm -hmm. this, this great finally understanding in corporations around process and KPIs and connecting metrics to performance at the operational level, not at the customer satisfaction survey level, and I am I'm going to have a parade over that. 
So that, uh, again, just leads right into the next one, which is deciding to say sorry and and really dealing with the humanity of the organization and yes. and what what might happen and again that is so exposed um on social media and it's i had to laugh when i saw this one because i've got a, an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old and they're actually not allowed to say sorry because most of the time it's a meaningless word right uh they don't actually mean they're sorry they're sorry they got caught or That's whatever right. they're not they're not really sorry so you know i think we learn from the earliest age uh, to use that term um, without true meaning. So That's how right. do you make it real? You know, how do you actually be there for your customer? And then if there are gaps in your performance, how do you repair the connection and the conversation, uh, whether it's internally within the company or externally directly with the customer? Well, and and I think that that you're you're right on. In fact, saying sorry was the last decision outlined in the book on purpose because. You need to believe customers are good and right, and you need to trust your employees. Um, you need to have clarity of what you're going to apologize for and not. You need to understand your business model. You need to, to be human and real, to have humility and remorse, and you need to be operationally diligent to proactively understand when you're failing customers, not just wait for them to, uh, to point out the problems. Otherwise, you're always reactive. Um, and saying sorry is not just the words. It's about repairing, to your point, the emotional connection. When you make a mistake, uh, what research tells us is if you, if you fix the customer's problem, but you also have humility and remorse and you apologize in a way and a manner in which customers know you're honest, that you, first of all, acknowledge there's a problem even before you have the solution. Uh, you know, we, we know from a lot of these bad examples that if you sweep it under the rug or try to, you're going to be in worst case. But if you do all of these things, I, I call it the peace process between a company and its customers. Admit it, there's a mistake. Have humility and remorse. Connect the silos and ultimately solve the problem. If you do those four things, you're actually going to have more bonded, loyal customers than if you hadn't made a mistake in the first place. Mm. People are human. We know our feet are made of clay. Companies are made of human beings. Act like a human. Solve the problem. Don't just okay. say the words. In fact, when I give speeches, I, I always say, you know, I ask, does anybody have brothers and sisters? I, I actually have six brothers and sisters. Oh and, and, you know, I'm Italian and we had a lot of children. But um, I say, you know, like you just said, what did your mom and dad do when your brother or sister punched you or pinched you? They put that kid in front of you and they said, tell your sister you're sorry. And the response <laughs> you got back was, sorry. But you knew you were going to be, but you knew you were going to be punched again another day, right, Chickie? Yes. That's, that's why we don't let our kids use that word. Well, and, and, and that's what's happening with corporations. They send out these yeah. hollow apology letters with the word sorry in them, but they haven't done anything to solve the peace process. Right. Absolutely. Well, Jean, the, the book uh, is, uh, again, these messages are so simple, but they're so powerful. And, and you end end up the book on, on the note of telling people to be deliberate about yes. their decisions. And, and that, that chapter is called The Decision is Yours. What I'd love to hear in the few minutes that we have left is I'd love to hear your favorite stories uh, or your favorite story from, from the book. I know you also had a, a, a footnote to the book uh, by Tony, uh, the CEO of Zappos. 
So is there one story that sticks out that uh, that was just really meaningful about this book to you? Well, you know, I mean, there's some personal things. I, uh, chapter 4 starts with this, actually a story about my dad who sold Buster Brown shoes in the in the in this in the chapter about being real and um you know I love that story cuz I, I I you know I lost my dad about 6 years ago I get to stand on stage while I give that speech and talk about he was who he was and when I when I do that then one of my favorite things I I talk about was is in 1980s or so um when Southwest was doing really, really well. They were just, you know, killing the industry with kindness and growing very rapidly. Northwest Airlines came out with uh, their assertion that they were number one in customer satisfaction. And Southwest came out with this very formal response, and it was it was published. It said, um, after lengthy legal consultation with our legal teams, we have come to the conclusion of of a co- official corporate response to Northwest Airlines assertion that they are number one in customer satisfaction and the end of this advertisement ended with liar liar pants on fire. Mm-hmm. And I you know I just think that you know it, it it's whimsical but it gets to the heart of the matter which is that the beloved companies take their business seriously but they don't take themselves seriously. They 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 are grounded in humanity and they enable people to to live and thrive and it sounds ridiculous but what you'll see in each of these case studies and I worked real hard on these is there is a financial impact on making these five decisions so this is not kumbaya we are the world this is deliberately how you will choose to grow and there and each of these companies when I went and redid all of the research for the paperback which just came out in. Uh, the end of 2011, all of these businesses either grew in the economic downturn or pulled out ahead of their competition faster. So it's it's a way of growth and profitability. Well, I can't wait to use it as a roadmap uh, to our new our new venture, and and uh, the name name of our new company is is Rock the World Enterprises because uh, my partners and I all really want to make a difference, and I, I think that, that this yeah. Yeah, we're uh, we're you know sticking true to our roots in the travel industry. We've got a a, a new um, website called Traveling to Give, where we uh, give back a percentage of our profits to uh, anyone who who books through the site. But we're marketing uh, business to business, not business to consumer, and so going to charities and foundations and churches and, mm-hmm. and different organizations that already have fundraising you know going on and and to use this uh, to augment that so i'm really really excited because um you know using these premises as the way our leadership team um works with each other you know as mm-hmm. well as with the the customers is is where i think we need to go and um you know i i think during the economic downturn you know companies spent so much time cost cutting and they yep. didn't really spend the necessary time to be introspective about how they were going to get out of of that crisis and uh, right. you know and to really grow. So I think you've you've provided some amazing insight and uh, again I I really urge folks uh to get this book. It's called I Love You More Than My Dog: Five Decisions That Drive Extreme Customer Loyalty in Good Times and Bad. And for our Executive Girlfriends uh, Group members, you can order the book on the Executive Girlfriends Group uh, book club site. And we will also have uh, Jean's 
contact information uh, so that you can contact her uh, directly. But, Jean, for those who aren't members of the Executive Girlfriends Group, what's the best way for them to learn more about you and your firm? Well, I um, was very fortunate. I married a guy. His last name is Bliss, B-L-I-S-S. So my website is customerbliss.com. Oh, that is wonderful. <laughs> and tell us again what your blog is, is going to be called. It's uh, chiefcustomerofficer.wordpress.com, and it'll be in about two weeks we'll have it launching. And, and there's still blog content on my, my current website, but this is going to be a lot more detailed. It's going to be like a, a user's manual on, on how to drive the customer uh, advocacy campaign. Well, when that is live, please let us know, and we'll post that to our members so that they can uh, get on the bandwagon of learning how, even if it isn't their responsibility today, how to learn how to create that chief customer officer uh, role within their company. Wonderful. Well, thank you so very much. It's just such a pleasure. Well, Jean, I really appreciate it. And, uh, uh, again, normally we would um, give our listeners uh, some time to ask questions. I will uh, go ahead and, and turn off the recording at this point in time. And, again, for those who are listening, if you want more information about the Executive Girlfriends Group, it is simply www.executivegirlfriendsgroup.com. And, Jean, if you can just hang on for a second, I'm going to turn off our recording. Okay. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.